Dreams are nothing more than wishes And a wish is just a dream You wish to come true So very lucky just to have some company. Hello, welcome to T Hanks for the Memories. I am your host, Darren, and today we're going to be talking about uh, You've Got Mail, uh, a thing that I never heard because I never had AOL. Um, it was released on the 18th of December 1998, and it did fairly well at the box office, made about four times its budget, and it got 70% on Rotten Tomatoes, 73% for the audience score. And uh, 6.7 on IMDb, which is the lowest rated of these 14 uh, golden films that Tom Hanks made. Uh, Tom did not win the Oscar, although he was nominated, but not for this film. Um, it was Roberto Benigni, if everyone remembers that guy. Remember Roberto Benigni? He was an Italian guy who stepped over everybody at the Oscars. <laughs> oh, such a funny fella. And joining me to talk about this today, I have Ollie Brady. Hello, Ollie. Hey, Darren, how are you? I'm doing fine. And I have Megan Griffin. Hello, Megan. Hello. How are you? I am doing okay. Now, um, uh, I remember watching this film on TV a while ago. I rem- like, I don't know, like 10 years ago. Uh, I remember hearing that Nielsen song about uh, how uh, the Lord must be in New York City. Um, and that was pretty much all I remembered about this film. I knew there was like a whole lot of them emailing and stuff like that. But I hadn't really seen the film in full, I don't think, until I watched it today. Um, and finished watching it about 15 minutes before we started to record. Um, and, um, which is common with a lot of these Tom Hanks films. A lot of these Tom Hanks films I haven't... Uh, the weirdest thing is I don't know why I didn't see it at the cinema, because in 1998 I saw a ton of films at the cinema. I saw like, I don't know, 30-something films at the cinema. So I guess I just, you know, didn't want to see it. Um, so... Uh, but I'm guessing uh, from the the fact that you put your head <laughs> I, in your hands, yeah, Megan, I'm just having that you have seen this film process more often. That, like someone <laughs> has only seen bits and pieces of what is legit, not just one of my favorite movies, but one of my favorite tropes. Like, huh, it hurts <laughs> so, so I take deep. It- I mean, did you see it at the cinema or, or did you see it after it, that? It had to be after that because I would have been roughly 10 and my mother was a little strict on the whole PG-13 thing. But I do remember doing a Tom Hanks marathon and watching all of his 90s uh, rom-coms. And there's not a movie newer than You've Got Mail on that list. So I, it had to be shortly after that. I was going to say, this is his final rom-com. If you want to okay, that, yeah. categorize films like that. he did, I mean, you can argue about the merits of what, whether or not Larry Crown is that, but I don't think Larry Crown is a rom-com in the same way that this is because uh, there is no like meat cute or anything like that in Larry Crown. Um, you know, it's it's a, it's a completely different film. I, I question um, whether or not of... uh, Larry Crown counts as a movie. Um, (laughs) it's sincerely one of the worst movie going experiences of my life Um, I went on a date to see this movie in the cinema Uh, how did it go? um, I'm just saying you boy but uh, (laughs) 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 it was 1998 I was was 17 and uh, for some reason I thought it would be a good idea to go watch this movie in the cinema It, it it Really, it's not really the kind. See, if you're taking a girl to the cinema, you want a movie that you can not pay attention to. Okay, and you're ignore. not and, wrong there. Okay, yeah, and in this kind of movie, like it's hard to act manly 
and tough when you're sitting there going, I wish it was him all along too. <laughs> this does conclude a trilogy of films that Tom did with a certain actor. Um, and if you're saying to yourself, that's Meg Ryan, then you are wrong because it's Dabney Coleman. Dabney Coleman returns once more, this time playing Tom Hanks' dad. Um, in this film, he had previously appeared with him in Dragnet, of course, and The Man with One Red Shoe. Uh, in The Man with One Red Shoe, he tortures Tom Hanks by, by setting a bunch of spies on him. And in Dragnet, he plays uh, an extremely weirdly accented southern gentleman who runs a pornographic magazine. Um, so this is a th- um, really this is the first time that they've kind of acted this much in a film. In fact, I would say there's more of him and Dabney Coleman in this film than him and Meg Ryan. But I think you know. Uh, and and weirdly in previous films with Meg Ryan obviously in Sleepless in Seattle they don't meet till the end and they don't kiss till the end and the same is kind of true of Joe versus a volcano like he's with Meg Ryan for a lot of the film but they don't really kiss until they're about to be thrown into a volcano (laughs) so uh, I guess the winning formula for Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan films is to have them not kiss until the end we will see if that happens with Ithaca which of course is Meg Ryan's directing debut that also has Tom Hanks in it Uh, so that is why you would be incorrect to say that they work together three times Um, so unless you want to just restrict yourself to the previous millennium I think that was a movie trivia question we actually had uh, while while we were doing uh, COVID regular movie trivia nights Uh, because I was like I feel like I've had this argument before about Ithaca, uh, and that I do believe is why. (laughs) Uh, The film is based on so many things, just so many things. Uh, There was a novel uh, by Miklos Laszlo called Parfumery, which uh, was adapted into The Shop Around the Corner, um, which was then also adapted into In the Good Old Summertime, which was then also adapted (laughs) into She Loves Me. Um, So the story of two people who don't like each other eventually getting together um, has obviously uh, been an eternal thing for the last, I don't know, 100 years or so. Um, (laughs) Although so far, nobody has remade this film. Um, And I don't think you could today really remake it because people will go, that's just you've got mail again. Um, But, you know, they remade She's All That. So anything can happen. I feel like you could do this again. Yeah. You mean like modernize it more or like at all? Just go, just go word for word, and just have Greg Kinnear come back and say the internet is a terrible thing. <laughs> because I think in twenty twenty one, that line is even more accurate than it was in nineteen ninety eight. Um, you know, when the internet was in its infancy, basically. I mean, like, you know, they were only on AOL four, so like, you know, uh, yeah. I mean, and uh, another, th- uh, I mean, a fun fact. I think I've got about seventy one AOL discs in my house somewhere. I've just got like a stack of them. I used to just like they used to be everywhere, and I would just keep them because they were just I was because some of the artwork and stuff was really fun. But also they had so many hours. Like one was like a hundred hours, one was fifty hours. So I was like, eventually I'm going to be able to combine all these, and I'll have all the hours in the world. Um, there's been nothing stopping me apart from the fact that AOL kind of stopped existing although it still does exist today but obviously it's just not not what it used to be um though apparently there are some elderly people who forgot to turn their aol subscriptions off and that is where aol gets all its money uh, oh wow so, Jeez. you know yeah if you know someone who's elderly they've probably still got some aol dial-up somewhere um uh, but yes so uh yeah i mean uh, let's jump into the film it starts with some 
I am going to call terrible CGI New York graphics, which I was not expecting. I mean, it actually kind of starts in space and then turns into a, a wireframe world and then turns into a CGI New York. Um, all while the puppy song by Nielsen plays. Nielsen will be a recurring theme within this entire uh, film. Um, and we get, of course, the sound of dial-up and the AOL welcome. Like I said, I never had AOL, so I never got any of these voice things. Um, Megan, did you but... have AOL? Oh, I did. Oh. I did, yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, I... she was in America and she was online. Um, so <laughs> My screen name was Megan GR. My mother set me up. I had it. Like I, like, I remember being in the kitchen on the family computer on AOL. And, like, the only person I emailed was my grandmother, who I saw once a week. <laughs> well, uh, the, funny th- so. <laughs> the funny thing is, of course, this film is made by Warner Brothers. And, obviously, AOL, a year after this film came out, would buy up Warner Brothers. Not the other way around. When you think about that merger, <laughs> AOL bought Warner Brothers, which is insane. Um, but, yeah, yeah, I have read the book about how AOL happened. And this is going to blow your minds. AOL started as a modem for games that people could play online and they had to pay $60 like a year to connect to this modem and they could plug it into like their Atari uh, 2600 and it would give them games like once a week new games that they could play uh, over the internet and that is how AOL started that's crazy yeah and then the guy who kind of invented that he went a bit crazy um, at one one of the E3s he hired a hot air balloon to publicize this this thing and it, he was bought out by a pair of brothers uh the, whose surname was case and the younger one um used to run like i don't know some pizza hut franchises and he was put in charge of it um and eventually his older brother i think died of cancer and he was left in charge uh, his name was steve case um and within the company they used to refer to the brothers as uppercase and lowercase which is my favorite thing about the entire of AOL. It's like, that's the nickname. And then the guy who came in to like run AOL on behalf of Steve Case was a former general. Um, <laughs> and he ended up kind of... I, the, way, the way that AOL made money was selling ads on their front page, and they basically oversold ads. So they would, they would sell companies' ads for like five years, but they would demand the payments straight away. And they basically ended up bankrupting a ton of companies because they couldn't afford to pay ads. Um, and it's insane. You should you should read up about it because there, there, like, there was tons of like parties that they had, and everybody was like buying Ferraris, and like things were wild. It was a, it was crazy, um, and that's how you know. Eventually, their valuation got to the point where they could buy Warner Brothers, which made this film uh, pure coincidence. I think that they chose to put AOL. Did they, in um, did they pay for the you've you've got mail or whatever it is um, to be? part of the movie or was that just that was just a like, feature and coincidence yeah that's just a feature of the thing wasn't it that was just yeah that, that's yeah. the thing it, it's it they use the actual aol yeah like announcement yes did aol as, like, pay that or did the movie pay aol for that that's i think saying, i think like, they yeah. paid aol because uh, they they actually okay. got the the version that's used in this is aol 4 which was in beta when the film was being made so it wasn't even available to the oh, public okay so they, they obviously paid to get early access. Oh, no. Yeah, so it's not even product placement. No. It's or like, is we, it, we want to use is this. Is it like, hey, look at this exciting product that we're about to release? I think it was so. mutually beneficial to them both. Although, of course, in the long term, yeah. it just makes everything look extremely 90s because no one uses yes. AOL. Um, 
But yeah, I'm, what I like is obviously, you know, we have this. I mean, the, the thing is, as well, when uh, Greg Kinnear walks in as the bad boyfriend, um, although much like in Sleepers in Seattle, he's not really the bad boyfriend. I mean, in Sleepers in Seattle, the guy was just allergic to everything. In this, he's just, I don't know, a pretentious prick. Um, and so, although not too... Pre- he's an earnest one. Well, yeah, not too... It's like... He's not a bad guy at all. Oh he's no, just uh, he can't be a bad guy. Very self-involved because he's obsessed with typewriters. And likes typewriters. Yeah, and Tom Hanks is obsessed with typewriters, and obviously Tom Hanks is the best person exactly. in the world. So obviously, yeah, you know. Um, but yeah, so he comes in with this story about how uh, Solitaire was uninstalled from a bunch of computers, and that is true. There were a number of government agencies in America that uninstalled all oh, the yeah. games. Because people were just sitting there all day playing solitaire on, uh, you know, on the public's dime. Oh yeah, my my computer does not have games still. Yeah, yeah, like um, much like uh, at the time, the most requested um, help from Microsoft was where is the any key, uh, because some people, much <laughs> like Homer Simpson, could not figure out that when it says press oh any God. key to continue, they didn't realize you could just press any key. <laughs> they thought it referred to a specific key. Um, so That's Microsoft so Microsoft actually changed that to press enter but still any key would work but they instructed you to press enter um, because they get so many requests about it but you know that's 90s computing people were just learning how things worked um, you know once we uh, and people get very nervous about computers like even still in 2021 people are very nervous to click on anything <laughs> Which is, re- well, sorry, that's funny. It's very nervous to click on anything they've never seen before, but they're very quick to click on stuff that just says accept. Yeah. Yes. Um, accept. Okay, I so, accept it. Yeah, sorry, yeah. I have a question for you, too. If, okay, so I understand that AOL stands for American Online, but then you just talked about how the disks were everywhere. Did AOL expand? Or, like, what, what was the internet provider for you guys? What was your AOL? BT. Okay. It was British Telecom and Aircom, yeah, Aircom Irish Telecom basically. Oh, okay. Aircom yeah. Okay. In Ireland, um, so it, it was a national provider, and this was before it was privatized. I think Darren, it's definitely like Aircom didn't get privatized in Ireland until two thousand and three, so this was back when it was a national service. Yeah, be so all the internet was was provided by the government. I, our internet wasn't because our family had cable, so as was provided by our cable provider. Okay. So. But uh, yeah, but no, AOL discs were everywhere. Uh, it's it's insane. Uh, I'm not going to go and get the stack. But of wait, discs that I have, like everywhere, but I have a like stack of discs. You, no, no, no. I, like the, like you guys would get them and it would yes, work. Maybe. No, I remember oh. this, but again, it makes sense. I live in America. Was this something that just like it actually worked? Yeah, it, I, they were pitching themselves as okay. an ISP. So obviously, it'd just be you know you're paying for telephone, okay. but how about here's the ISP is a separate is a separate thing. It still is over here like you know if you, okay. you have a telephone and then you have whoever is providing your broadband they're they're separate elements so aol will obviously pitching themselves in the early days as being the internet service provider they also advertised um because again it was back in a time when people didn't know much about the internet that you got you automatically get an email address with this yeah like if you if you sign True. up to AOL, you get an yeah. AOL email address. And people, I wonder like if mine people still were works. signing up, going, yeah, okay, yeah, up to up yeah. to that's a good up idea. Up to ten email addresses, I think, on some of the discs it would yeah. boast. Yeah, mm. so <laughs> that's fair. 
Um, but yes, we meet our protagonists uh, via the medium of sending emails to each other on a screen that has nothing but the email open and no icons on the desktop and nothing else, just literally the email. Um, and there's not even an icon on the desktop for the email. It's just the program that is always open. It knows. Yeah. So, um, and obviously we get, it's funny because we hear the you've got mail um, voice, uh, but on the screen it says you have mail. So, I, I don't know what's going on there, um, you know. Um, but yeah, so we meet Tom Hanks, who is playing Joe again in a film with Meg, with, with, uh, Meg Ryan. Uh, previously, he was Joe versing a volcano, and now he's just Joe Fox, the grandson of the founder of Fox Books, which is uh, Fox and Sons. Um, although, curiously, there's only one son in each generation, from what I can tell. <laughs> there's no... Um, oh no, there's the the young boy is the son as well, isn't he? In a in a weird and roundabout way. Uh, so yeah, um, and Tom- yeah, from a from a second marriage or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Tom is dating uh, somebody who is twelve years younger than him, played by Parker Posey, uh, which I find interesting because on a previous film, Tom Hanks had the main role recast because Uma Thurman was cast and he felt she was too young for him. So. And I think Uma Thurman is I, the I exact same be age honest, as Parky Posey. But I think she that age gap does not look 12 years. No, Tom Hanks looks great for his age. Yeah, like it's it's not like it doesn't come across as like like it would nowadays of old dude. Way too young actress. I disagree entirely. <laughs> I think this is the end this okay. movie is the end of tom cruise as even tom hanks rem- or tom cruise i wish <laughs> I was about to say. I, it's the end of tom what? hanks being even remotely attractive he's starting to get podgy and he is podgy after in every single movie after this and i think parker posey looks like she's 20 years younger than him because he's all jolly and she's all like young and hippish and I, i'm just saying he's okay so. okay do it after that thing you do i just i can't see him as anything other than a middle-aged man anymore oh, well in, interestingly in this film obviously he he like he isn't a father he doesn't have kids again like this is a this is a thing that tom hanks apparently uh, was extremely reluctant to be seen as a father which is why it takes all the way up until the burbs before he has a kid and then that kid was mostly written out that film and then since... I mean, in fairness, Darren, if you were Chet Hayes' dad, you wouldn't want to be seen as a father either. <laughs> well, the, fun, the funny thing is that since, since that film, he, he had a kid in uh, Bonfire of the Vanities and Sleepers in Seattle. Um, and obviously we finished Forrest Gump with him having a Forrest Gump Jr. Um, but really, he, like, this is, you know, probably the kind of the, the, you know, the, the kind of return to him not having a kid in films. Um, you know, which will keep going for a couple of films. But then after Road to Perdition, I think pretty much everything after that, he's kind of, you know, in that role. Um, but yeah, so it's interesting he hasn't so, got kids. I feel like, uh, oh, what's the super pop- Da Vinci Code. Yeah. That guy, I think, was a bachelor. Yeah. And I, I think the same with Charlie that. Wilson as well in Charlie Wilson's War. But that's a real, per- oh, the ones that are real people. It's a, yeah. it's a different ball game. Um, but yeah, so sure. he's going out with Parker Posey. She is going out with... Uh, Greg Kinnear, who at this particular point in time, they were still trying to make into some kind of heartthrob. Um, that did never, that never worked, never succeeded. Never at any point was Greg Kinnear seen as a leading man in any films. Um, and I think he accepted his role eventually as like guy who people don't really get along with in films. Not that, not so bad in this one, but it, there's other films later on where he just kind of, 
accepted that he's not the leading man. Um, but he is uh, he's a guy who writes about typewriters I, on a typewriter. I feel sorry for Greg Kinnear because um, I think he's a fantastic actor and I think he has he's had a, a good career. But I think around about this time, like the three big movies they tried to put him in, uh, or sorry, not they tried to put him, they did put him in, but like the three semi-starring roles, we'll say, he's opposite... Jack Nicholson in one, he's opposite Tom Hanks in one, and then he's opposite Harrison Ford in another. And so he talk about Sabrina and uh, as good as you get, and or as good as it gets. And like, I'm sorry, Greg, you're <laughs> you're not you're not holding my attention versus any of those three men. Just they're just more magnetic personalities and on screen presences. So it's like, sorry, sorry, good, good luck, Greg. But maybe if you, you mean. He's he's good in um, is he's in Mystery Men, isn't he? As, yeah, um, he's in Mystery Men. He gets as the, the main superhero killed off pretty quickly, and he's also good in Nurse Betty as well. But again, in that character, I've never I've never seen Nurse Betty. Oh yeah, I mean it's an interesting film. Uh, at one point, Morgan Freeman scalps someone. So oh. yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and then another point, he shoots Chris Rock in the face for being annoying. So. Um, but yeah, no, I, th- I, th- I think this is kind of like Greg Kinnear. This is prototypical Greg Kinnear, like the guy who is kind of going out with the main actress, but who at no point the audience will be like, oh, I hope they end up together. Um, be- yeah. He's a regular James Marsden. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I guess. Um, yeah, so. Um, I don't think so. We have NY152 and Shopgirl who are communicating with each other and we get some voiceover from both of the the actors as they write their emails back and forth. Um, With this being New York, of course, they coincidentally, whilst Dreams by Cranberries plays, end up on the same street because, you know, that's New York. (laughs) Although in all fairness, I think they're both heading to their workplaces, um, which in his case is a building site for where his new bookstore is going to be. And in her case, it is a shop that is around the corner from there. Uh, which is called The Shop Around the Corner, uh, named after the film The Shop Around the Corner, um, which, you know, is the most obvious reference that Nora Ephron right. will make in this film. <laughs> this is like inception level. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> later on, he does actually say, uh, you you know, that when he put up the sign, around, you know, The Shop Around the Corner, he wasn't a reference to her shop. Um, so there was some discussion of that. Um, Wait, just a, a, in the movie, yeah, because I, I didn't quite catch it, is the... Is the bookshop called Shop Around the Corner in reference to the movie Shop Around the Corner? So in this movie, the movie that it's based on exists and and her bookshop, her mum's bookshop is named after it and she doesn't recognise that it's the exact same plot line she's living in. (laughs) The funniest, the weirdest things is... Sometimes we want to live in those plot lines, okay? (laughs) Sometimes that's the life we want, Ollie. We may recognise it. The, the weirdest thing, of course, is that, you know, um, she insists that he read Pride and Prejudice and some parts of the elements of this plot are also oh. based on Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> so, like, neither of them seem to recognise what's happening in front of their faces. Um, once Joe Fox gets to the office, he decides that this would be a good time to spout out a ton of exposition towards Dave Chappelle, um, who uh, agreed to appear in this film because he turned down the role of Bubba Gump um, in the film Forrest Gump. Um, mostly because apparently he didn't want to play an idiot 
and he didn't like the script and he <laughs> thought it was going to flop. And when it came out and it was the second highest grossing film of that year, he obviously regretted it. And he apparently uh, wrote something to, to um, Tom Hanks saying, obviously, he regretted turning that down. He did some interviews where he mentioned the same thing. And apparently Tom Hanks got in touch with him and said, look, you know, next time we're, you know, we need a, a, a best friend uh, in our film, I will speak to the director and get you cast. And that's what happened. He said to Nora Ephron, do you mind if okay. Dave Chappelle is in this? And she was like, no. This character basically does literally nothing for the entire film. So why not give it to Dave Chappelle? Um, you know, he all he does is appear in a few scenes and just kind of tell Tom Hanks how great he is. Um, and also he... Yeah, he tells Tom Hanks how great he is and tells Tom Hanks to uh, compliment Meg Ryan all the time. <laughs> like, tell her she's not ugly. Like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, in, in Meg's shop, we get to meet her two assistants, one of whom is played by Heather Burns. Um, who I am sure I've seen in some stuff uh, in the last decade. Uh, and then, of course, Steve Zahn, returning to work with Tom Hanks once more, um, although playing a role that is probably closer to all the other roles he played in 1998, uh, rather than the role that he played in That Thing You Do. Because in That Thing You Do, he was very happy and upbeat. In this, he's just some weird kind of like downbeat guy who just kind of shows up to the shop whenever he wants. And yes. Yeah. 90s um, existential crisis guy yeah or as I like to say uh, Greg Kinnear was playing a real James Marsden type and Steve Zahn is playing Steve Zahn he, he pretty <laughs> much is it's like he's in literally every movie as this character yeah. it is unfortunate that that is what he's become Darren Heather Burns um, and I only found this out recently is a character that is very famous for being a meme because she's the girl who says what the perfect date is in Miss Congeliality. Yeah. Like, what's yes. your idea of a, of a perfect yeah. date? And she's like, uh, April 25th or whatever it is she says. I can't remember the exact date. That isn't what I know her from. It's not too hot and it's not too cold. <laughs> yeah. I think I know her from Choke, where she plays what is labeled as internet date. But uh, it's in a scene that ends with her and um, Sam Rockwell engaging in, let's say, some rough sexual play. Um, so uh, yeah, and I. But apparently, uh, she worked in a bookstore with, for a week with Meg Ryan in New York. Um, so there was a time in 1997 when, if you went walked into a bookstore, you could see Meg Ryan and Heather Burns behind the counter uh, working. I know that bookstore. That uh, when I lived in New York, that's my favorite bookstore. Yes, I can't remember the name of it. It's a uh, Books of Wonder. Yes, yeah, they did like a week there, yeah. and then. You know, they were like, okay, I think we understand what it is to work in a bookstore. You sell people books and you give them yeah. change for the money that they give you. <laughs> and the set was designed after their bookshop. Yeah. Um, yeah. There is a little bit, there's a kind of email about where, where uh, Tom Hanks talks about bagel dust and how they, they pour all this flour into the, under the bagel shops and then there's dust in the air. And it reminded, that is literally like a, uh, I don't know if this was stolen by uh, the woman who wrote Gone Girl, but there is a whole scene about the flower in the air in Gone Girl where um, Ben Affleck's character is talking about it and how it looks like snow and stuff. So I was like, oh, so this is a thing that happens apparently in New York. There's, there's clouds of flour going around apparently. at like three in the morning. Um, so um, it's funny because, um, you know, uh, she encourages him via email to read Pride and Prejudice um, and it looks like he's not enjoying Pride and Prejudice because he keeps reading a couple of pages and putting it down and then picking it back up um, and this leads him to rant about Starbucks whilst both of the characters are in Starbucks <laughs> and 
He complains about coffee being $2.95. Um, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> which, um, uh, you know, along with um, an earlier speech from Greg Kinnear, where he complains that the internet is the worst thing to have happened to, to society. Um, it feels like ranting about the fact that your coffee is two ninety five is extremely quaint. Um, you know, uh, <laughs> and Greg Kinnear reveals that yes. he has bought himself a typewriter. Um, and it turns out this is the second version of the exact same typewriter that he already has. <laughs> so he's a really big fan of this particular typewriter. And this is this is given to us by the fact that he also wrote a column about how much he loves this typewriter, um, which I mean, I don't know if this is around the time that Tom Hanks started collecting and repairing typewriters. Um, but if it was, then it feels like, you know, Tom was like, just throw in some lines about typewriters. I love typewriters. Everyone must love typewriters. Um I feel like okay I don't know if it was this movie or if it's another movie with a typewriter but I remember that like he pitched something so that like he could get to keep the typewriter or keep something like that like I feel like this is a Graham Norton thing that I'm trying to remember (laughs) so like he he pitched um I think I remember hearing this as well he pitched that the character would own a specific type of typewriter. Yes. So that the producers would buy that specific type of typewriter and then he would get to keep it afterwards because he couldn't locate one for himself. Something along those lines. Yeah. I yeah. think it, it might, it, it's either, it's a, it's around about this time. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah. So it, like it could be, I don't know if the character has one in at the end of Castaway, but it's, it's like that where they were going for some sort of accuracy and then he insisted that they, they that he has this typewriter, like. and I, I think that's a great story. Like that's a real Tom Hanks move there, because you know we probably made sure to also give a massive tip to whichever prop hand had located the typewriter. Oh, like, that know. or like yeah, like yeah. I was going to say that he'd pay the studio, but also, no, he doesn't have to. Do that. <laughs> He's not paying the studio. Yeah, I think he would say to him, "Look, do you want Tom Hanks in the next film that you do?" I suggest you give me this typewriter that's, then. That's fair. Yeah. Uh, give me this typewriter. <laughs> yeah. Do you want double Oscar winner Tom Hanks to be in your next film? Then I suggest <laughs> you give me a typewriter. Um, you know, which would be a small fee, considering that Arnold Schwarzenegger did Batman and Robin for a Harrier jump jet. So, you know, uh, I think you're getting, getting away with it. Um, I think you did Terminator 2 for a tank. <laughs> so, you know, those are bigger than typewriters. What a bizarre. Yeah. Um, yes. We find out that Tom Hanks has an extremely complicated family where his grandfather, played by John Randolph, in his final role. Um, so much like in the film Nothing in Common, where that was like Jackie Gleason's final role. I mean, I feel like it's dangerous to work with Tom Hanks if you're a certain age because it's going to end up being your final role. Um, mm-hmm. He is Shula Fox, who is the head of the family. He's the grandfather. And then we have Dabney Coleman um, as Nelson Fox. And then obviously we have Tom Hanks as Joe Fox. And one of them has got a granddaughter and one of them has got a son. And so Tom (laughs) is with the kids and um, the kids are dropped off by his soon to be stepmother, I think. Um, And um, along with the nanny. Um, Now, I hadn't seen this film completely before. Couldn't remember all of it. I remember vague bits and pieces. Uh, but immediately when I saw that nanny and the stepmother, I was like, I think that they're going to be a couple later on. <laughs> um, <laughs> just because of the way they're acting around each other. And I was like, oh. And then later on, I'm like, oh, yes, that that is what happens. Um, 
but yeah so we get the cut the kind of the funny thing where obviously um uh the the kind of the girl is his aunt even though she's like seven and um matt who is his um, brother is roughly the same age as well now i have an i have an aunt who is younger than me by a couple of years so you know this if you have parents that, yeah. that marry a second time this is not that hard to get your head around um but up yeah it's a, it's a common enough occurrence over here like. yeah but i think the fact that the grandfather is so old is is part is kind of the joke um because because like the you know it just it just means the ages are all over the place um i think uh, i think the grandfather and father um they serve really they serve a really good purpose in showing that uh joe fox might be a bit of a you know not the nicest guy in the world like he's not your regular tom hanks character but in comparison to dad and granddad in the family he's he's practically a saint like he seems like a nice dude in comparison to them yeah. so the fact that he has any sort of niceness to him is a sign that he's you know got potential to be a good person i think that's yeah. why the, the older generations are there to show just how bad he is or just sorry just how bad they are and how entitled he could have been it's also probably a good way to be like hey this is a good reason why he's probably not married like he's waiting for the one kind of vibe because like yeah. look what his family's put him through i mean also at the same time like he's a third generation like white guy who is running the family business <laughs> like you know in 1998 i don't think people had too much of a problem with that but you know by 2021 you're like uh, is this really the hero of the story a guy who basically is a multi-millionaire <laughs> and can do whatever he wants yeah. um but then by the same token he goes to the shop around the corner with the kids who they've been at the uh, I did like the the shop where uh, they're, they're doing all the different rides and they're on like the little mini like the tiny trains and Tom Hanks is sitting on a tiny train with with the kids and it just comes around and he's just like sitting in this tiny little train you know it's, it shows that he's a fun guy um, and he ends up at the shop around the corner where you know Meg Ryan is reading to a bunch of kids and obviously the, the kids are amongst them. He's got like some balloons. He's got a fish. He's got a bunch of you know cotton candy. Um, you know he's like clearly he, they've made a day of it. Um, and then you know they go to uh, you know buy a bunch of books. Um, and you know we're not a hundred percent sure at this point if Joe is just doing this because his kids, you know, not his kids, but the kids that are related to him, you know, wanted to do this, or if he's doing this to, to kind of spy on this, this bookshop around the corner and see what's going on with it. Um, but we also find out that um, much like he is a third generation multimillionaire running the family business. Uh, she is also running the family business, but in her case, her mother has died. Um, so mm-hmm. it makes it tragic. But basically, this is a this is a family business. It's been in the bit family for twenty something years. So, um. also, like, I think it also it, she may be third generation as well because any time Tom Hanks mentions the shop to his grandfather, he starts yeah. <laughs> waxing about uh, Cecilia. So, and, and I like no matter how many times I've seen this, I've still not been able to understand if he knew her grandmother. Oh, Megan! And, like, was he in love with? Knew Stop that, Holly. <laughs> he knew that. Her. That that is the vibe that I got. Was that like they had they had a relationship? But that's he keeps saying she was enchanting. Okay. Well, 
at the same time, I was there's something about it or the way that he does it where I'm like, is there that reminding you of someone completely different because it's like it takes you back in time dementia kind of moment i don't know why but there's something about the way it's acted he, that I'm yeah like, he does say it the exact same way every single time that her name gets mentioned yeah and it does seem like he is kind so. of sundown into something um yeah because she left a she left an, a real impression on him yeah oh i get that um <laughs> uh, whilst purchasing the Ollie. books uh joe um obviously doesn't want to use his credit card and so he has to pay cash and obviously he's shocked a little bit at the price. Although I do like that when he's talking to uh, Steve Zahn, which I think might be the only time during this entire film, the two of them actually interact in the scene. Um, when he's talking about the book and he's like, you know, that's why it costs so much. And he says, no, that's why it's worth so much. Um, you know, so I thought that was a nice way of looking at like the way that like obviously Joe thinks about things is how much they cost. Whereas obviously... You know, Steve Zahn is working in this kind of bookshop where they uh, they obviously see the worth in the book. Um, so I thought that was a nice little contrast. Also, it was great to see him together again after that thing you do. Um, <laughs> so even though it is just this one scene and they only talk to each other for about 30 seconds. So, um, but obviously he hides his, his surname because he doesn't want uh, he doesn't want Kathleen to know that he is Joe Fox. So he just calls himself Joe. Uh, and when the kids almost give it away. Uh, the the younger one, Matt, kind of just spelling out fox over and over again. <laughs> she keeps asking him the name, you know, to spell different animals, and he just keeps saying F O X. And this is something obviously that will be called back to later on. Um, yeah, so I, you know, I think it's funny because obviously we know who he is. Uh, you know, she doesn't know who he is, but the the fact that he's acting this way as a viewer, you're like, it seems like he's hiding something. Uh, but I don't know if he just turned up to that shop because it's, you know, sells kids books and he's got a pair of kids with him. And, you know, there was a reading going on. So it's something to occupy the kids for like 30 minutes. You know, I don't know if he was deliberately trying to kind of uh, do reconnaissance because if he was, I feel like he would have been a bit cleverer, more clever about it than just, you know, momentarily deciding not to say his surname. Um, yeah, they're... they're... The way that it's presented is like they stumbled across a story hour, not I want to go to the story hour or I'm trying to bring the kids to the story hour or even like borrowing the kids to go to the story hour. So I think it is just a genuine coincidence. Yeah, it's just an on the spot thing where he's like he realizes obviously that, you know, he's going to be putting them out of business. So he decides (laughs) not to reveal who he is. I wouldn't be surprised if he like didn't even realize he was in the vicinity of his store. Like, yeah, that kind of vibe. Yeah, um, and you know, I I th- I think it. You know, there is some nice business when, um, you know, she says, "Is this your daughter?" And it's like, "No, this is my aunt." You know, I thought that was there's some kind of funny stuff there from Tom Hanks the way he delivers it. Yeah. And then as he leaves the shop, he gets a balloon caught in the door. Uh, and he comes back in and says, well, at least it wasn't the fish. And then he exits. Obviously, we see that Meg Ryan is charmed by this person um, because obviously it's Tom Hanks. And he, despite them trying to put him in roles where he plays the bad guy, <laughs> he is extremely charming. So, you know, uh, and apparently that line was an ad lib. Um, and Nora Ephron just left it in because she <laughs> thought it was funny that, <laughs> that he kind of got the balloon stuck and, and then just came in with this quick ad libbing character. Um <laughs> and so we reach the start of the second act as as uh, Fox and Sons bookstore <laughs> opens 
And we find out that Steve Zahn's character is living in a rent-controlled apartment. Um, you know, uh, Christina is worried that, you know, if this shop gets put out of business, she'll have to move to Brooklyn. Uh, which, obviously, in 1998, was not a nice place to go and move to. But ten years later, <laughs> the people would be deliberately moving to Brooklyn. So... <laughs> Uh, yes. just makes me kind of it's I don't know it's, it's just I like the way that there's certain things in this film that are kind of uh, amusing uh, but yeah Darren just a just quick thing Go for um, it. so Fox's books is based on Borders yes I think yeah Barnes and Did, Noble well yeah Bar- or Barnes yeah. and Noble so one of them have, yeah. had you ever been well have you ever been in a Borders uh, when I was in when I, or, or one of those huge mega shops I think when I went to New York in 2001 I did go to I can't remember what it was called but it was in Union Square I think that was uh, Borders that is a Barnes and Noble the big four oh, store that is like one of the OG yeah. yeah Barnes and Noble in New York there's a cinema around the corner and from it, it. I, they're just yeah. so impressive to me like I know <laughs> I get why they're bad for local economies and stuff like this here. But come on, as somebody who doesn't need to live near one and never sees one, anytime I'm over there, I you know I I've a, you know, I like stepping into them. Don't get me wrong, I, I know people who work in small independent bookshops and they're also lovely, but there's something well, nice about a giant place where you can just wander <laughs> around and like literally every book is that you could possibly think about is there. The bizarre thing that truly is like I remember the the scare of Barnes and Noble and Borders putting small bookstores out of business and pretty much almost the loss of the indie bookstore and then before COVID the indie bookstore was making a resurgence it was small but it was getting speed and the bizarre thing is is that now a lot like uh, a lot of us that were so against Barnes and Noble are now like <laughs> we kind of want you to stay like we want the indie bookstores we're going to keep supporting you guys but we also need you to stay because like Amazon we don't want that yeah it's funny because so, like Greg Kinnear's like yeah. the whole rant against the internet which is mostly about email like he's ranting against email which like come on Greg like get with the times um but uh, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah, um, yes. But obviously, that is the thing that will eventually end up destroying Fox and Sons bookstores is Amazon, um, because obviously, keeping yes. a gigantic store in New York with the rents and everything, it's just not feasible after a certain kind of point. Unless you're making literally like millions a week, you you just can't sustain that. There is an Amazon store bookstore in New York. Like, it makes no sense. It sounds wonderful. Um, <laughs> no, tell me actually, more. the Amazon one is a little disappointing. Like it's oh. small, but you get your if you are an Amazon Prime member, I am not. You do get that discount, or like you, it'll match the like online price. Oh well, I am a Prime member, store. so next time I'm there, I'll be going into that bookstore to get as many <laughs> books as I can. Uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> you should go to Books of Wonder. Uh, yeah, so uh, the, se- the secret of Joe keeping his name from Kathleen does not last very long because um, at a party, uh, Joe and um, Patricia and Kathleen and Frank all end up in the same place. And, you know, they end up getting drinks next to each other. And as uh, Joe walks away, some random old Jewish gentleman 
informs her, I'm surprised you were talking to Joe Fox. <laughs> and I, we never see that character again. He just literally wanders up to her and says, that's Joe Fox. And then he wanders off. And that's the end of his role. He just basically gave away the secret. Um, and then, of course, Kathleen goes over and she is angry at him. And it turns out that Joe Fox is uh, much like Tom Hanks's character in Punchline, extremely quick on his feet with comebacks. And like every time she tries to say something to him, um, you know, he just immediately has a comeback. She she mentions that caviar is, you know, like it's it's a garnish. And so he just gets his hand and scoops up all the caviar around the side, uh, which, uh, you know, as a kind of very passive aggressive moment. I really enjoyed that. I was like. Um, you know, this is because obviously in in the previous films where these two have acted together, they've had very different dynamics. And so it was kind of interesting to see them attempting to not have chemistry, uh, which is not really possible. You know, even when they're both not at all. being angry and yelling at each other, there's still chemistry there. Um, you know, so <laughs> you can't deny it. And. And Darren, I feel like we've got a thing because the last time I was on uh, T Hanks from the Memories, we did Big, yes. which also has a scene with him and Caviar at oh, a yeah. party and <laughs> doing something rather hilarious with it. So let's hope that the next time I'm on Da Vinci Code, maybe? Let's hope the next time I'm on that there's some caviar related hijinks. Yeah. Uh, I'm, uh, the thing is, there has to be. I would have loved if he'd have took, took some of that caviar and then just done exactly as he did in Big and just kind of <laughs> tried to get it off his tongue and try and clean his tongue. Uh, unfortunately he doesn't they have you know a back and forth uh where you know she keeps saying stuff and he keeps coming up with you know stuff to say to her into this walks frank um you know and when he says he's joe joe fox frank's like oh joe fox um greg and kind of does some you know i think this scene is probably his best scene where he's kind of like uh, particularly when parker posey turns up and starts you know flattering him and the, <laughs> the pair of them are like like he's trying to be angry at Joe Fox because obviously he's going to put Meg Ryan's story out of, out of business, but he can't be angry at Joe Fox because he's like, you know, complimenting him. And but and then, you know, his girlfriend turns up and he's complimenting him and, and it shows you it doesn't take very much to get on the good side of Frank. All you got to do is flatter him just a little bit and he's instantly yours. Um, <laughs> and he just stops defending uh, Meg Ryan completely and just, you know, is, is taken by the fact that Parker Pose. I like how they're shaking hands and they're basically both having to be prized apart <laughs> while they're kind of shaking hands. Um, we do not get a pair the spares uh, situation though in this film. Um, you would think from this scene that later on they would end up together somehow, uh, but it doesn't happen, at least not on screen. Um, so I think um, it, it definitely doesn't happen on screen, but I, I think the way it's lined up is like, Tom Hanks is, has a girlfriend. Meg Ryan has a boyfriend. And we can't have our two stars be cheating on their respective partners because that's effectively what we're talking about. Like an online emotional affair is what they're going through. Yeah. Um, so we have to so. clearly establish, and, and Nora Ephron wrote the movie as well, as far as I, I know. So she has to clearly establish that, yeah, but you know, nobody is really invested in either of these relationships. Like Greg Kinnear ends up, is flirting with Parker Posey. He's flirting with the girl that he does the interview with later on. Like it's all there that Meg Ryan isn't a bad person because they've just come to an unconscious uncoupling or whatever they call it. <laughs> and the same thing with Tom Hanks and Parker Posey. So even though they're still technically couples, they're also technically free agents at this point. So I think it's just there so that we don't go, 
well this is a movie about cheating because as we all know that happens 10 years after any movie or a year after any movie you get the think pieces coming out going well secretly these are bad people doing bad people things (laughs) yeah Uh, i mean (laughs) i mean uh i think it's i think it's funny because obviously what we then get is we get the thing where in the emails he starts to tell her stuff that obviously would benefit uh kathleen where he's like you know you should you know how she should run her business how she should she kind of because she's complaining that obviously you know hours later she thought of like a perfect comeback and he's like well you know you should try and be more like that in the moment um you know although you know there are so many like sitcoms and stuff which have done the whole kind of like the jerk store called type you know perfect comeback you know like days after it happened so it's not uncommon but i do i do like that they're kind of setting her up as someone who in person is too nice to kind of insult him and he's the kind of person who literally has all these insults in his back pocket ready to go at a moment's notice and if she says oh the caviar is just meant to be a garnish he's more than prepared to just grab a handful of of you know uh caviar to spite her so like just the way that and darren that's why fox's books are so successful yeah it's because he's it's because he's, willing to... he's ready to grab that caviar. <laughs> yeah oh. that's what they say in business school grab the caviar um <laughs> you know i have had caviar it's 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 okay it's like it's like bro it's like it's fish eggs it's it's very bitter and salty and stuff and it's uh, you know i don't know why people make a fuss quite frankly um megan have you uh have you had caviar i've had bro i've not had caviar yeah like if there's a difference i have no idea the only difference is the price quite frankly and caviar is more is saltier than roe um not worth a fuss to be honest with you you know if someone else is paying then by all means have a bit of caviar stick it on a cracker (laughs) maybe put some sour cream on there or something you know something to offset the the saltiness but yeah um yeah so obviously at this point uh joe and uh kathleen are trying to avoid each other or she's trying to avoid him because obviously they live in the same neighborhood um and he's obviously now working in the shop that is around the corner from the shop around the corner so they're going to keep bumping into each other um and you know they end up running into each other at zabar's uh where tony award-winning singer sarah ramirez is working behind the counter um better known as one of the doctors on Grey's Anatomy for a few seasons where she Ooh. went out with she went out with George and then she went out with Arizona and then she ended up getting written off the show um but yeah which one is that Ollie which what is that oh that's like season five um and then she <laughs> she leaves but uh yeah Grey's Anatomy just all blends into one amorphous blob after a while Although I will say, and spoiler alert for anybody who watches it, when George dies in that show, it's the best thing ever. <laughs> Christ, right. I hated that character. <laughs> oh, I, I mean, I, oh, I, I can tell you okay. exactly what episode that is, Darren. <laughs> I thought he was okay, but yeah, it did. After a certain point, it did get a bit kind of tedious uh, with George. But yeah, uh, so out of, out of nowhere, a wild Sarah Ramirez appears, and she is refusing to use the credit card machine. Um, until <laughs> until Joe makes himself known. Uh, and I like that, obviously, this is like angry New Yorkers in a queue 
getting mad at the person at the front of the queue who's got into the wrong queue and she hasn't got any cash on her and it's a cash only queue and then joe just pops up and kind of like tells like a knock knock joke but the the punchline is why don't you just turn on the credit card machine and let her use the credit card so we can all go home basically um yes Ollie. darren i think this is very funny because what you said earlier about um in 2020 having the hero of your movie be a third generation white guy um it's very funny that in that scene, Meg Ryan says, oh, I don't have any cash. Like, could you just, you know, use the credit card machines right there? Like, she says pretty much everything that Tom Hanks says. <laughs> and the difference is that Tom Hanks is a white guy and, and the care behind the counter is like, oh, this is charming that he's telling me to do this. I'm going yeah. to accept it. Because none of the points he makes, I would sorry, points he makes, none of the barbed little things he says are any different to what Meg Wright said. It's just he says them with the uber confidence of a rich white guy and then suddenly, oh, oh okay, yeah, no worries. And you're like, it's one me. step away from having the rest of the customers applaud him. Like that's, that's what that scene <laughs> felt like to me. Very much so. Yes. Well, he does say happy yeah. Thanksgiving to the guy who's at the front of the queue who was complaining, which I thought was quite funny because like that, all that guy's done is complain and he like said he's like, when Tom Hanks introduces himself to the cashier, um, you know, th- this guy like says, oh yeah, and I'm, I can't even remember what his name is, but he, he like, he says his name and t- then at the end, Tom Hanks is like, oh, yeah, happy Thanksgiving and he says his name to the guy. Um, but yeah, it's clear that Sarah <laughs> Ramirez, you know, the character of Rose the cashier, uh, clearly just wants to bang, you know, uh, Joe Fox, and that's that's why she's willing to oh. turn on the, uh, you know, the credit card machine because uh, she's smiling at him, and then the instant that he leaves, and and Meg Ryan, like she turns to Meg Ryan, her smile literally just goes straight off her face, and she's just like, you know, is that the vibe? Is it supposed to be that? Is he well known and like she's starstruck? No, I think. Or is it supposed to be just like, oh, this charming guy is talking to me? I think that's where it is. I think that's what it's meant to be. Okay. It's meant to be that everybody okay. I... in this film wants to bang Tom Hanks. I mean, okay. You know? <laughs> I mean, is it. I, I guess it was more for. Is Are they trying to bang him because of his name and they all recognize him or just because charming white guy because he's tom hanks i mean you know it's tom hanks in 1998 you know admittedly he is getting a little bit of a dad tom hanks in 1998 as i've already said darren is no tom hanks in 1996 i'm just i mean he's no he's no he's no tom he's no tom hanks in turner and hooch where he spends half the film just you know walking around in his his underwear um, with his extremely toned body that he clearly was working on, and that's why he said to the director, "I think we should play the scene semi-nude." <laughs> you know, I've been at the gym, Darren. I can hear you say "extremely toned what? body" about Tom Hanks <laughs> over and over again. I may cut that out and make it my ringtone. <laughs> he's less toned in this. There is a moment. There is a moment later on when he's like standing in like a polo shirt and slacks, and I'm like, this is clearly where the whole dad bod thing started because that's just Tom Hanks in '98. I, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, sure, fine. I guess you've got mail is what got ingrained in our heads, and this is why dad bods. I don't. Like, that's know. when he became America's dad. Up until that no, point, he was America's not. possible future husband. But then no, <laughs> you've got mail came, and everyone was like, "He's really more of an America's dad type." 
I mean, he'd just come back. He'd I, just no. come back from World War Two. I mean, we've got to give him for some me? kind of. What more of a dad can you expect? <laughs> for me, I think it was the moment that I realized uh, Colin Hanks was cute. Was the moment that I went, "Well, Tom Hanks's dad got it." <laughs> yeah, um, we get a couple of seasons here. Obviously, we're at Thanksgiving, and we get some people singing some songs for some reason. I don't know. I mean, I guess this is just what happens in families that Nora Ephron knows around Thanksgiving. R.I.P. Nora Ephron, of course. Um, you know, just people get around pianos and just start singing. Um, and we obviously get some tension between <laughs> Greg Kinnear and uh, Meg Ryan because, uh, you know, they're singing a song about the different instruments in a band. And he, I think he just can't get his part in the correct key or in the correct rhythm. And I guess that's meant to indicate to the audience that they're not in sync anymore. Um, but yeah, and then, you know, obviously we get closer to Christmas. Um, now at the party, when, when Joe had met, uh, Kathleen and her, his name had been revealed, he made reference to the Godfather. And then, you know, she talks about how her business might be, you know, going out of business. And he replies by giving her a load of stuff about the Godfather. <laughs> and so um, she is then like, what's it with guys and the Godfather? Not realizing, obviously, that the guys in this case are the same guy. But Greg Kinnear confirms that, yes, men like the Godfather. Um, so that kind of that would allay any suspicion that it was the same person. And obviously, you know, with business. Hashtag not all men, Darren. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. I've never seen The Godfather or Godfather 2 or Godfather 3. So Have you, wait, you've never seen The Godfather no, movies? I haven't. That's because Tom Hanks isn't. He isn't. They, they, is they were on one Christmas, like, I don't know, 20 years ago, or something. I, I started watching the first one and I, I swear after 15 minutes, I was like, oh, I'm a little bit bored with this. I think I'll watch something else instead. Um, I've not got the energy to be fully committed to it. I'm sure I'll watch them at some point in my life, but, uh, you know, just not any time soon. Um, Megan, are you a, a Godfather fan? I've seen them like, what, probably 10 years ago or something like that i don't think i've seen three though yeah, um, a, a much maligned classic he said while smirking to himself oh <laughs> it, it was oscar nominated for best picture uh. the year that the year that <laughs> joe versus the volcano and von fry the vanities were not so it has that over tom hanks um yeah so we 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 find out that business is down um apparently they're not making as much as they were the previous year um, to which Meg Ryan is like, maybe it's a coincidence. And I think at this point it's worth saying, have either of you seen the film They Came Together? No. No, I don't think I have. It is a comedy with Paul Rudd, and um, it is basically the exact plot of this film, except instead of bookstores, it's um, it's candy stores. And in it, um, I'm trying to remember who plays the thing. She was on uh, Parks and Rec. Uh, she's the lady of that. Who's the lady off Parks and Rec? The blonde? Amy Poehler? Yes, Amy Poehler plays like the, the love interest and she has her own like small um, sweet shop um, uh, or candy shop as Americans might say. And um, basically he works for like a gigantic candy conglomerate and her store basically is giving everything away for free and she's like, I don't know why I'm making not making any money. Um, and it is kind of a direct parody <laughs> of the plot of this film. Uh, it's worth seeing because it's very funny particularly if you've seen this film because it is just basically taking every single one of the tropes that's in this and kind of applying them but to candy stores um, 
But yeah, she's not making money and she's trying to pretend that it isn't because a gigantic bookstore has opened around the corner. Um, and she kind of, <laughs> she decides that she will use Frank and his um, publicity, his his column to, um, you know, t- talk up the store. And so, you know, Frank writes about the shop around the corner and it is suddenly filled with people. Um, and then it's it's interesting because he's kind of like, oh, yeah, I guess I could have done that at some point <laughs> this time. And it's like. Yeah, yeah. He says he says it could be a conflict of interest, and then about four seconds later, decides it's not a conflict of interest. Yeah. you're like, no, but it would be. Like, it, 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 it is, is a conflict of interest. But Frank. also, um, but what I also what is like your about column? It, yeah, he he writes the column. Uh, we see that there's more, some people in the shop, but then we cut to find out that it's made absolutely no financial difference to her. Oh well, we find we yeah, we no, find that out his after the TV appearance because obviously, um, you know. Oh, that's true. He, he, he goes on. Well, she ends up, you know, being interviewed by the local news. Uh, he goes on to this uh, highbrow show with the interviewer and he flirts with the interviewer. The interviewer <laughs> flirts with him, although he pretends not to notice. Um, and, you know, that doesn't really make any difference to the sales. But at the exact same time, uh, welcome back to the film after, I don't know, 45 minutes. Dave Chappelle, um, who is working out with Tom Hanks and... Uh, Joe is kind of mad because he like he, he said like a bunch of stuff and they just cut to him basically trashing the little shop. And, you know, mm-hmm. he like he's not happy with how the TV interview is framed. And then also I he says something and then he just goes flying off the um, the, the like the, the walking machine thing, which has a proper name. I can't remember at this particular moment. Um <laughs> But he goes. He just goes flying off it, which is it's. I mean, this film does not have that much Tom Hanks physical comedy, but that is a nice bit of physical comedy. <laughs> it also doesn't have much Tom. It, it, it also is a clear indication as to why he has dad bod because he's clearly never used a treadmill before. No, um, that's why he's doing that. <laughs> yeah, this is probably the first time that he's ever used a treadmill. Um, so yeah, th- but we find out, yeah, the publicity made absolutely no difference. They haven't increased anything. She doesn't understand why. And I think it's because Frank might be overestimating exactly how much influence his column has. <laughs> you know, we've met like two people who've read it in this entire film. Um, and like one of them was Tom Hanks's girlfriend. So like, it does seem to be of like more pretentious, but not actually going to do anything about that crowd like that. We're enraged, but not actually going to do anything to help. Yeah, it is the equivalent crowd. of, you know, uh, armchair activism. It's, it's people who are like, yeah, we can't have this big bookstore. And then obviously they're just like, I need to buy some books. I think I'll just go to that big bookstore. Um, it would yes. be great to find out that Greg Kinnear's character realized that he was the equivalent of a very early keyboard warrior. Like, I'm going to write about this and uh, have exactly zero impact. Yes. Good job. The internet is the worst thing that ever happened to Greg Sneer's <laughs> character. Yeah, you're just finding out now, is, Frank. Yeah. Also, probably some commentary on how we weren't quite terrified of losing small town or small stores and things like that. Because I feel like if something like this made it on the news... At this point, it would cause more of a stir. Well, they have protesters chanting outside the big bookstore. 
And of course, Joe, Joe is like, oh, that's quite catchy. <laughs> he he doesn't fear that, that you know, things are going to... I mean, there was a whole bunch of stuff at the beginning where he told Dave Chappelle, oh, there's going to be protests and people are going to get angry. And then none of that happened. And then he was just like, you know, the bookstore opened and there was a gigantic queue outside. So, uh, you know, it feels like, you know, it's just another gigantic bookstore opening and he doesn't have anything to be worried about. You know, it's just because he's, he's met um, Kathleen that he has any thoughts about the smaller store um and of course this is where he you know as their online personas uh they decide that they're gonna kind of like uh meet and you know jave Chappelle again does this whole thing where he's like kind of you know describing meg ryan um and he's like you know she looks exactly like kathleen kelly this person that you're meeting <laughs> and obviously it turns out it is kathleen kelly um and so he he goes in and he kind of pretends that he's just kind of in the neighborhood and she's like i'm you know i'm waiting for someone um and um i mean is this is this where he realizes that it's her that is shop girl i think it is isn't it yeah, yeah. this yes. is where he realizes 100 yes. percent that's with her and you know as a good decent human being does doesn't tell her no <laughs> he doesn't and it, what's funny is this film is two hours and it does not need to be two hours there is, there is a point where yes it does there is a point there's a point where Stop. a reveal is no. there's a point where a reveal is made and the film could end there but it goes on for another 27 minutes so i i have heard darren yeah. that there is uh, an alternative cut uh, a bootleg cut if you will of this movie but <gasps> it doesn't end there it cuts out his family so, you know, the Dabney Coleman character yeah. and his granddad, they're gone. That if you cut them out of the movie, they make literally no difference other than it makes him seem like a nicer person in comparison. But you don't need that. Like, he's he's still a relatively nice, okay. charming guy. So Fair. it just cuts him out. And that's where you end up with it being less than two hours. Like, it's an hour and 45 minutes or something. Because they're only in small parts of the movie. They're only in, like, four but, scenes. But if you're going to cut out that add a little bit more of like the the ending of this is so rushed in my opinion i think the exact opposite For a movie that is so long <laughs> i think the ending is so rushed it's over like two days so we'll get there well though. yes so you know obviously he's he basically she describes him as his online persona to his face and says that this person is charming and everything and he is not that. And we find out that she's getting a bit more like able to like say mean things to people to their face. And she has chosen to do that to Joe. And yeah. so, you know, she she starts becoming a bit more like Joe uh, was earlier in the film. And she has a load of comebacks. Like she says, can you leave? And he, he kind of gets his coat and everything and then just moves to the table next to her. Uh, which is an incredibly petty thing to do and you know obviously once once he gets home he kind of writes to her and makes an excuse for why he kind of stood her up um and you know she says she felt guilty about like saying mean things to uh, him but obviously not realizing it's him um and then he does this really weird thing where well, he does two really weird things which reveal that Nora Ephron does not understand technology he turns off AOL but when we look at the screen, his laptop has turned itself off. So AOL says goodbye. And then the laptop's turned off. And then he walks back. You know, he does a few things in the background. And then he walks back to it. And the laptop's turned itself back on. And I was like, I don't know what's going on there. Um, that seems a bit weird. And then... Oh, he's been monitored by the CIA. Well, I mean, I 
do remember computers and like you jostled them ever so slightly or walked slightly too hard and it was like hello i'm back away how are you <laughs> he didn't he, like, no. he didn't pray to sleep though he just he just exited aol because it said goodbye um but maybe it immediately goes to sleep. I well, don't know. And then, I, and then he does something that makes me think that Nora Ephron does not understand that you can just hold down the backspace key and it will delete everything. Where he del- he writes an entire message and then he deletes it by pressing the backspace key very fast. And I'm like, you don't need to do that, buddy. Just hold it down. And even when, even when you had, had command line, you could hold down a delete key and it would delete everything. It's a feature that's been in computers for the last 50 years. So, uh, I don't know. I'm guessing Nora Ephron types these scripts on a typewriter. Or maybe there's a sound cue person that was like, no, we have to have it sound like this. (laughs) Otherwise, you don't hear anything. And maybe people don't know computers well enough to know that, like, they're just holding down a button. I mean, I don't know. Anyway, I thought it was very funny that he basically hit the delete key like 55 times in a row <laughs> to delete an entire message. Maybe she was just going for the comedy of it all. Um, yeah. And we reached the conclusion that obviously the store, which is called the shop around the corner, of course, is going to have to close down. Um, and it is revealed that Birdie, uh, as played by Gene Stapleton, who has been throughout this film as a surrogate mother to uh, Kathleen Kelly, apparently fell in love with Franco in Spain at one point. <laughs> And, and it, I find it because yes. when she described it, I was like, well, there, she described him Franco. Then literally in the next scene, Frank is like, she fell in love with Franco. <laughs> and I, was like, <laughs> I was like, I'm glad they didn't skip over that. Um, at this point, Frank and Kathleen go to the cinema and they do what every terrible couple in the cinema does. They talk very loudly. Now, admittedly, they're only talking over the whole let's all go to the lobby thing. But at the same time, yeah. lower your voices, people. Come on. At least pretend to whisper. Um, and Meg Ryan reveals that in the last election, uh, she didn't vote. Um, she clarifies and says in the last mayor <laughs> election, she didn't vote. Uh, she didn't vote for Rudy Giuliani, <laughs> um, which <laughs> is such a oh. kind of weird reference, obviously, to here in 2021. But I'm guessing in like uh, 1998, it was meant to be terrible that she didn't vote for Rudy Giuliani. <laughs> Um, yeah, he cleaned up the city, Darren. Well, he certainly did. He certainly did. And when <laughs> I went there in two thousand one, I felt completely safe because of Rudy Giuliani. Um, yeah, guy's a hero. Yeah, um, he's a <laughs> he's an he's an American hero. Um, Stop. He's an American <laughs> online hero. <laughs> oh my god! Amazing. Uh, this, of course, leads to the, the revelation from both Frank and Kathleen that they don't love each other. And so they're just going to break up. <laughs> and it's fairly amicably done, um, much like in Sleepless in Seattle, where Meg Ryan also broke up with the guy because she really wasn't in love with him. Um, she just breaks up with him and she's like, yeah. And he's like, yeah, this seems fine. And then she's like, are you doing it with the TV interviewer who you flirted with in front of, you know, millions? And he's like... I mean, you know, we keep it in touch, you know. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, obviously something's going to happen there. Um, and, you know, the store closes, you know. Uh, there's a 40% off going out of business sale. Um, and, you know, she, uh, you know, goes into Fox Books and kind of just sits down in the kids, uh, you know, uh, book area. 
and then a wild Chris Messina appears um, as a as a guy working in a bookstore who doesn't have a clue who wrote a book. Um, you know, and obviously <laughs> he, he you know, that's that's the problem with gigantic bookstores. The people who work there, they just don't know anything. That's why they're working in a bookstore. Um, and obviously she the, the, the kind of customer is asking about a particular set of books and she obviously knows what they are. And so she uh, out of nowhere just kind of tells them um, and she gets a little bit kind of emotional. Um, and we see that Joe is across the way and he's uh, watching her. Uh, I find it odd that Joe is at this particular store all the time because the impression is given that this is like a big chain and they're opening stores all the time. So why hasn't he moved on to the next one? Um, you know, why does he keep popping back to this one? Obviously, because he is in love with Kathleen and he wants to stay, you know, close to where she's working. Um, he uh, goes home and gets in the lift and um, out of nowhere... Uh, Natalie Portman's dad from Leon is the lift operator. Um, <laughs> and I was worried that, you know, he was going to start dealing some drugs and people were going to get shot. But instead, the lift just gets stuck. Um, and at this moment, Joe Fox realizes that he's dating an extremely obnoxious person <laughs> who he doesn't really like. Um, there is some fun stuff where they, you know, the the lift operator is like, if everybody jumps, uh, maybe the lift will think it's empty and then it'll start going. Um, he's also scared that it will plummet to the, you know, the bottom of the shaft, uh, which Joe assures him it will not. And that is correct. There are, there are safety measures in lift, which means as soon as they uh, lose the cable, start to free yeah fall, they yeah. stop they just literally lock in place there's no lifts that are ever going to free fall it's just not a thing that happens and since that safety measure was introduced something like 115 years ago not a single lift in any building has ever free falled so you know it's a stupid thing but it happens in horror movies never all the time. well it's a stupid thing for it's a stupid thing for a lift operator to be scared of because he's met i also why does this building have a lift operator can people not press buttons i guess in Nora Ephron's life, lifts still have lift operators. So she just, you know. I mean, have you ever been on the Upper East or Upper West Side? I have not, uh, unfortunately. Yeah, no. That's a I, lie, actually. The, the the hotels where I stay in New York, all three times I've been to New York, have all been on the Upper East Side. So I can't believe you just lied to us like well, that. Well, I, I know. You're, I mean, Joe Fox does it in the show, and now suddenly you're just lying to us about never being on the Upper East Side. I haven't been on the Upper West Side. There is likely, I would put money, at least one building in New York City on the Upper East or the Upper West that still has an elevator attendant. An interesting fact about um, uh, operators in um, in elevators in, in houses, because they were new technology, and people were terrified of them. So operators were hired because people didn't want to hit buttons in the same way that people didn't know where the any key was yeah. on regular computers. <laughs> and they were literally hired. They didn't do anything. They, there's no function. There was nothing that they could do other than to hit buttons because people were terrified that they could make, like break the elevator in some way. Okay, um, Ollie, I have to know because sometimes you can say things that are completely not true. In the most sane fashion, is this true? This is true. This is that's okay. what okay. they were. It's because people who were when they started installing them in buildings were genuinely terrified that they could okay. cause it to not work. Um, in the original things, they, they used to have um, like in when ships want to talk to places. Uh, so in Titanic, for example, when they want to go full steam ahead, they pull the double lever system. Uh huh. There used to be levers like that that would make things work. 
they could have used buttons even back then but they put the levers in just to actively give the operator something to do i love it and here is I love here that. is the craziest thing. I love the first lift shaft in America was installed before lifts were invented. I love that we have such <laughs> an inherent fear of elevators that this is still a thing. It's still a thing for rich people that Nora Ephron knows, so she put one in this film. Um, there, and he's it, just. The first lift shaft was installed before lifts were invented. Like, yes. I reckon somebody just put like a big tube in the building, and yes. then they came to the architect. They're like, "What's that?" Yeah. He goes, "I don't know, lift." No, no, no. They, they knew they knew that they were building a building so tall that they that they would need to install a lift at some point, but they had no idea of how that mechanism would work. But the architect put a space it. in, you know, basically a lift shaft before lifts were fully invented. So it was like. It's future-proof in the building, basically. Um, and I think that lift is still in operation today. But it's weird because I think it's like a hexagonal shaft or something. It's like a, it's not it's not it, like the way he thought lifts would work wasn't the way that they were they do work. So it's it's, yeah. it's just a shaft that doesn't really work properly. But you know, there's still a lift shaft that kind of is there, and there's a lift that works in it. I, I genuinely love that. That's brilliant. Yeah. I, we're gonna need some faster way to get to the top. Better put in a big hole in the middle. Yeah. That's well. When you're building it, yeah. it's easier to do than adjusting afterwards, isn't it? So you know, that's that's what you pay an architect for. An architect, of course, being the job that Tom Hanks held in Sleepers in Seattle, because that's how you make someone super rich in a film. Just make him an architect. And um, after after Tom Hanks takes control and just calls, just takes out the phone thing and tells them we're stuck in you know between these two floors. Um, you know, he obviously breaks up with um, with with. Uh, Patricia and he then tells uh, he tells this fact to um, shop girl um, you know and it kind of gives the story so that you know she knows that he is single um, and then it is spring and welcome to the third act of this film um, you know the bookstore business has uh, you know the book the bookstore's gone out of business uh, we find out uh, that that uh, uh, Steve Zahn is now employed by uh, Foxes because obviously you know he knows his business and you know he, he like he's got the knowledge so they're like okay he can work there um, you know uh, f- like Patricia offered to you know uh, publish a book about or you know get um, a job for uh, for Kathleen so she could uh, you know give her insights on on books. And uh, we find out um, that Gillian ran off with an Annie Maureen. <laughs> and so <laughs> Joe is single. His dad is single. Uh, Kathleen is single. Um, and now we spend what I like to call 20 minutes getting to the inevitable, which is, um, you know, we get Joe uh, messaging back and forth with Kathleen, but then also going to see her in real life. Um, and having several occasions where he could just say, oh, by the way, I am the person who is sending you these messages on AOL. But instead, he keeps stringing it along until eventually he decides to meet up with her earlier in a day. And, you know, then she agrees to meet up later on with um, NY152. Of course, before that, we get some playful back and forth where they keep 
trying to come up with ideas as to why this guy has refused to meet with her. Um, and, you know, uh, in one scene, there is an extra wearing a salmon shirt who's got the most pointed of sideburns that I've ever seen doing a lot of business between uh, behind Meg Ryan when they're eating outdoors. And I was like, what is that? Who is this extra? Why is he putting all this effort into eating whatever food's in front of him? He's like really going to town on, you know, whatever stuff's in front. But yeah, we get like 20 minutes of back and forth between the two of them where they they become friends in real life as well as being friends online. And I have to be honest with you, once that shop was shut down, there's no reason why he couldn't reveal himself at that point. Um, but he spends a lot of time kind of going backwards and forwards, just pretending to be a different person. Okay. If you just shut down her shop. Yes. Haha, your store is closed. Also, I'm the guy you've been flirting with online. (laughs) That's not going to go over well. No, like you gotta repair some bridges before you and he does this in the worst fashion like i'll be honest I oh he's don't really know why. fixing those bridges building <laughs> yeah. up strong foundations of thrust or thrust <laughs> trust between them 100 percent. yeah never going to question anything uh but yeah like i think that's essentially the message is like there it there is no believability and i literally just shut down your shop but let's go on a date I mean, he eventually does say that. <laughs> like, yeah, but it's implied that there has been some time and distance between I mean, him doing that and her at least a season or two. Well, I mean, he shut her down just after Christmas and now it's spring. Like, it's only been a couple of months. Like, I don't know. I just, I mean, you know, obviously, this is, you know, today was the first time me watching this fully. And by the end, I was like, he's taken, like, he goes around and she's got a cold. And he takes her some flowers, and he feels like he's going to tell her there, but instead, he he just goes, and, and then he sends her some messages, and then he goes and sees her at a coffee shop, and then he says, "Why didn't you ask him if he's married?" And then she asks him if he's married, and he replies, but but doesn't answer it, and then he's like, "Oh, he didn't answer the question," and it feels like there's a whole lot of like. Ba- That's the worst part. Yeah, Darren. Just when you say he goes around and she's sick, what you mean is. She, he goes around to the house and I'm sick <laughs> because this is how Meg Ryan says that she's sick. I'm sick. I did think it was. I'm very sick. Today. I did think it was funny that like she's t- telling him over the intercom and he just kind of somebody opens the door and so he just follows them in, and then she finishes like basically blasting this on the intercom to like anybody who's walking past, and then he just knocks on the door, <laughs> like just as she finishes saying it, and then she kind of jumps. And I did think that was a funny bit of like business, but I was like. You know, that's the time when he should have said, it's me. Instead, it goes on for like another 10 minutes of him like telling her to say stuff and then, you know, kind of say, I, 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 at a certain point, I was like, if, if it just feels like he's deliberately drawing it out, um, you know, and then at obviously this point, also... it, it feels like he is a person on Facebook with two profiles having an <laughs> argument with himself because yeah. that's what he's doing. <laughs> It's, yeah, it, it's not handled well. And I don't want the movie longer of him doing that. But I do think there needs to be more distance and time and in-person action between, hey, I'm the reason your shop 
and your mother's shop and your grandmother's shop has shut down but like can we date please i i I agree with you on this one megan i think he could have done everything that he does and just completely cut off talking to meg ryan so as in stop sending her emails doesn't do this pretending and he just starts being friends with her like the so everything he does as joe fox joe fox continues on he's no longer the guy on the internet and then in order for him to instigate a reason for them to meet up he could send her an email again as your man and go let's meet in central park i've been away for a while i've got something to tell you and then he pops in and he's joe fox and you're like it was me right that reads less creepy and like flat out like he he's a bad dude uh, then let's 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 have a conversation between myself and myself via you, Kathleen. <laughs> yeah, like, dude, get in therapy <laughs> and work out these two sides. Like, I mean, the thing is, deal with it that way. Dudes will literally message someone and argue against themselves instead of going to therapy, and that is what he's doing here. Um, but yeah, I mean, yes, but also like <laughs> the damage this would do to her and the. The funniest thing is eventually when he gets closer to the reveal, you know, she's like writing a book and she goes, you know what? I would never have written a book if you hadn't have put my business out of business. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, thank you for doing that. It's a nice save. Yeah. But also she, no, I would almost say he has done irreparable damage. Like, thank you for hurting me. I learned from the hurt you did to me. <laughs> yeah, that is not a message that we need to be sending. But also, I love this movie so much. <laughs> well, and this trope so much. Then, of course, we have two meetings that are going to happen. Joe kind of points to somewhere and says, let's meet there tomorrow or Saturday. And then he immediately goes home and sends a message. I want to meet you on Saturday at four o'clock. Um, you know, I'll bring my dog. Well, the- um, and so yeah. then he meets her earlier in the day. Um, and obviously kind of tests the water and finds out how she's feeling about meeting him again later in the day. And, you know, she's like kind of happy to kind of finally meet this guy. And then, you know, we get the reveal where she's in the park and she's looking around. And I'm, I... Well, no, before that, he's kind of like, pick me instead? Yeah. Like, don't go see this other guy. Yeah, because she's like, I could never go out with a guy who owns a boat. And he's like, oh, well, I own a boat. So I guess you're never going to go out with me. No, 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 but even that, he's like... I wish we could have met at a different time, place, yeah. you know, ask you out on a date, you know, until death do us part. Like, really implying, like, pick me <laughs> instead of that me, pick me. Uh, but then, you know, he turns up in the park with his dog and she cries because she's like, I hoped it was you. And then, so did she, was she figuring it out or, I don't know. No, that's my <laughs> least favorite line in this movie. Like, of all the things, right? I, this... No, okay, okay. You're in love with two guys. The best thing. That one impossible thing that you wish for. Man, I hope these are the same people. Like, wouldn't it be wild? No, Pipe no, dream. no, Megan. Hope. It would be insane. <laughs> I hope that these two guys or one guy is an insane thing to hope. Or at least I, I hope uh, I hope he's kind of like that wrong. guy, maybe. But uh, yeah, the, the fact that he is is kind of crazy. 
Um, but look, I, I'll, I'll be honest with this. It does, I was talking about the backlash that comes, and we talked a little bit about this on the big episode about people reappraising a movie 10 years later or 15 years later. And I remember seeing a couple of think pieces about this, and I've seen, we've all seen the ones about Love Actually and, well, oh, Love Actually is bad, actually, all this sort of stuff. Yeah, I don't care. I love this movie. I think it's absolutely brilliant. Yes. I hate that line because it does not make sense. She says, I hoped it was you. You didn't hope it was him. You've been talking to him. There's no sane reason for you to hope that the guy on the internet was him. What you hoped was is that the guy on the internet looked like him, maybe. But you didn't hope it was the guy you've been talking to in real life. But having said said that... I don't care that he's gaslit her. I don't care that it's been bad stuff. <laughs> he and her are adorable together. And yes. their romance is really, really nice. And even though all of those things that people will, will write about are true, like it does, it, it's not like a bad interpretation of what's happened. It's what just she had sometimes said, it's I, not needed. I knew it was you. I knew it was you. Way better than I hoped it was you. Okay. I mean, it felt like in the bedroom, he was kind of giving her hints so that she would figure it out. But then she didn't figure it out. And so he just kind of was like, all right, then see you later. And then just left. And it's... Listen, when you hear things when you're sick, they're not going to... That takes a while to process. Yeah. Do you know, you could have made it even better when he said, I'll see you later, wink, in the park. (laughs) Wink. You just missed the... Well, before we get too far, then, let's go to uh, the ranking of it. And obviously, on this podcast, we have two rankings, and they are simply T-Hanks or no T-Hanks. So we're going to go to Megan first, if you want to give your verdict. Oh, T-Hanks all the way. Oh, T-Hanks. Nora Ephron, uh, as far as I can remember, has never really made a bad movie. She's made unsuccessful movies, but every movie I've seen of hers have been... Like pretty much entirely watchable, and this is a really watchable, really charming movie. Um, I think it's a lot sadder than people expect it to be. I think if you watch it now, watching it twenty years later as a forty-year-old man, I actually feel like her life is quite upsetting. Like she, she doesn't really have her own personality. She's living her mum's dreams. And yeah. she doesn't seem to have any friends. Like, her one real friend is her mom's friend. Well, I like, mean, the people who work for her are kind of friendly. Um, th- but that's what I'm saying. It's, they're the people who work for her. Although, like, that they're not necessarily kind of her friends. She doesn't, yeah, she doesn't really see the f- one, if not both of them. The funny thing is, uh, in, in They Came Together, they make that same observation that the character that's uh, played by... I've forgotten her name. God almighty. What her name? Amy, Amy Poehler. Poehler. The character played by Amy Poehler doesn't have any friends other than the, the person who works for her in the shop. And, and yeah. so that feels like it's that's a, a direct she's, observation she's a of this film. a quietly sad character. Yeah. But I mean, it, it's nice. I, I, I'm happy that they both have like a happy ending with each other. Even as said, I, I, I can 100% understand all of the complaints people have about stuff that happens in the movie and I don't care I don't care about it in Love Actually I love that movie Yeah, and I don't care I about agree. it here I mean you say Darren do you say T. Hanks or do you say no well, T. Hanks wait you never say no T. I Hanks I mean oh no I have on a couple of films um, on this one I definitely say T. Hanks and it, even though you're saying Nora Ephron didn't have any bad films she did the remake of Bewitched um, and uh, 
I've never seen and that. She did, and she did that film with John Travolta where he plays an angel called Michael, which is a garbage film. Wait, Michael is really it's good. It's a garbage film. That's a garbage film. <laughs> Darren, I, you take that back. That is a lovely movie. Uh, it's, got, it's got John Hurt in she it. Also, she also did Hanging Up and Lucky Numbers, which are both, again, those, those films are tedious. And Julie and Julia, which is like 50% a good film and 50% garbage. Uh, it's got Christmasina in it. It does. I'm learning I have not seen as many Nora Ephron movies as I thought I had. That's all I'm learning I mean, right now. The only one I haven't seen is Bewitched. I, I, I think Mixed Nuts is uh, a glorious failure. Uh, anybody who's never seen it, just imagine a movie that has John Travolta in it where he just decides to be the worst human being in the world. He's just, <laughs> he's, he's absolutely, t- his performance in that is shockingly bad. You'd wonder how he was ever given a role ever. <laughs> but right. Michael's good, <laughs> Darren. It's part. It's part of that post Pulp Fiction, John Travolta run where he was in like seven or eight films, one after the other, and they the quality of them declined very quickly. Um, I wasn't that wasn't it a huge hit? I, it probably made it At made some money. Yeah, same as Phenomenon made yeah. some money, and that's a terrible film. Phenomenon, what a bad yeah. movie. So, you know, there's like a run of John Travolta films where he just got worse and worse and then eventually he was like, I'm going to make Battlefield Earth. <laughs> and then... So it just only went up. Yeah, things things <laughs> only got better. Um, yeah, so, well, uh, before we go, we shall go to plugs. Is there anything that you wish to plug? I'm going to start with Ollie. I don't really have anything to plug at the minute, although I am going to plug a different movie. Okay. Um, and... I, I've had this semi-argument with people before. Uh, I think that a better version of this movie is uh, Pillow Talk, which has effectively a similar plot of one person talking to another person over the phone and then the meeting in real life and the guy in real life shit-talking the guy's the version of the guy on the phone. Right? Um, and similarly, Down With Love has a mixture of different people doing different things. And I just think that they're slightly better versions of the same story and played more for laughs and with less of the problematic stuff that was in this. So if you watch this movie and you you do find it problematic, and again, that's a perfectly valid reading, either watch Pillow Talk or Down With Love and you'll enjoy those. They're they're good movies. I realized about halfway through recording this that the Hilary Duff Cinderella story movie um, is a decent adaptation gender swap of this and maybe more of the original sh- um, shop around the corner than you've got mail but uh, you know updated they're texting one knows who the other is and shenanigans happen um, and then I was going to recommend two books um, one is called dating by the book it is a similar vibe it even has email. It is between an author and someone who the first person who wrote a not good review about her book. Oh. Um, so I'm going to leave it with that. But it is a very uh, you've got mail vibe. And then uh, the book spoiler alert, which has the added bonus of secretly talking, flirting with famous rich person um and also like stand in for someone famous from like game of thrones kind of thing uh it is about a woman who writes fan fiction 
ends up getting date with famous person, he is also the beta reader of her fan fiction. Now, quick question, Dar- uh, Megan. When yes. did you write this book? I did not. <laughs> I love it so much, though. Um, so I highly recommend both of those for a very similar You've Got Mail vibe that has been updated um, and honestly fixes a lot of the problematic stuff. And you can find us at the extremely awkward Twitter handle T underscore FT memory. Uh, thanks to both of you for being my guests here today. <laughs> that would always yeah, make thanks. me laugh, Darren. <laughs> um, thank you for having me, as always. And I, I yeah. genuinely, I think I'm, my next episode might be Da Vinci Code. So guys, oh l- listen for me talking about Robert Langdon's hair and pudgy, pudgy Tom Hanks again. Holy... Uh, Well, I think we can agree that this, in some ways, was a wonderful story, but the next one is going to be a Toy Story. I guess the Lord must be New York City. Well, here I am, Lord, knocking at your back door. Ain't it wonderful to be? Where I've always wanted to be For the first time I'll breathe free here in New York City